Clubhouse. Welcome back to the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. This is Paul. This is Caroline. And it's been a while, but now <laughs> we are ready to get back into it. We are picking up with the third episode of the third season and covering straight through until the beginning of the fourth season, upcoming very soon. Are you excited? I am excited. I think it's so funny to come back and talk about this because you and I have sort of taken a hiatus from the show because it was off the air for so long. And uh, we admit we kind of got a little lax on our coverage in season three. So I'm... Kinda. <laughs> So I'm excited to get back to it. And to be honest with you, I I think we've like grown and changed as podcasters. So I don't know if this podcast is going to sound exactly the same as season one and season two, but I think you guys are going to get a great show. So we're happy for you guys to be listening. I mean, if we haven't changed, then we're doing something wrong. I right? know, right? We're a little bit sad. <laughs> well, Caroline. Yes, Paul. That was a very like, hey, Alistair. Yes, Christine. <laughs> we normally cover this show. In terms of character stuff. Mm -hmm. And I have five character groups. I have Joel, Shy and Reggie, Susie, Midge, and the Weissmans. Who would you like to start with? Let's start with the family. Let's start with the Weissmans and everything that is going on with the family and that part. Because I think that that really starts Midge's journey as well. This was a dense episode for them because they crammed so much into it. They got the beatniks and then they got the moving out. Very emotional time just crammed all into to one episode there. <laughs> now, if you guys are listening to our episodes back to back, then of course, you know exactly where we left off. But since it's been a bit for us, we have to remember that Abe just lost his biz here. He lost his mojo and decided he did not want to be university professor any longer. He's not going to do this. And the big... Rub there is that the the university provided their apartment, which is a big like, oh, my Lord. So it's time to go. Were you kind of surprised at that? I mean, was that one of those things where it was like, but Midge and Joel also live in the building and there's all these other people like, do you think it's just the university like gave them a stipend? But I'm going to say no, because remember that guy was like measuring the drapes and stuff like as if this truly was owned by the university. That could be. It felt random to just have like one apartment in the building be a university professor. I don't know. Maybe I'm, I don't know anything about university purchase departments, but it seemed a little like, wow, okay. Well, and maybe having that allowed them to splurge on things like their furniture, which they held in high regard that they were trying to, to give away during the very, the, uh, the tush test scene, <laughs> having grown men say tush back and forth to each other. <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't happen for me. Well, it's another time, Paul. So they said a lot of words in this episode that are words we probably wouldn't use. So I think it's funny. And really, to, to be fair, it was really Shirley who coined tush test. So perhaps one of the men would have said ass or something, but they're saying tush. Now, what did you think about them giving us the opportunity to see Noah, to see Astrid, to like bring everybody in the same room? My goodness, this is probably the first time we've had Joel, Noah, Astrid, Moish, Shirley, Abe, Rose, Midge. I mean, we have everybody in the same room. I don't know that that's happened in a, at all. This scene was had a few emotions going on. It had the trying to get rid of the furniture. It had the uh, pregnancy with Astrid. It had the weird new beard with Noah and it also had the weird new beard the distribution of the babysitting chores while Midge is away and don't forget it has the where are Abe and Rose going to go next added tension yeah that's probably my biggest question for you about this yes. is even though we know where it, end, where it ends up. They move in with the Maisels, the senior Maisels, because I guess there are no other Maisels to move Not in anymore, with. Not anymore, no. Uh, so, although I'm sure it's going to make some good TV in terms of odd couples. Oh, absolutely. It's going to be good. But does it make sense to you that this couple that, that seemed pretty rational up until Paris, anyway, would lose everything so quickly that they couldn't even decide and figure out a place to move. I mean, in many ways, Abe made the majority of decisions, I think. And so since he is left the steering wheel and has decided that he doesn't know what to do, I mean, that's really where the beatniks come in. Like, even though he decides to let those beatniks in, after two seconds, he's lost control. You know, they're everywhere in the apartment. So I think without someone at the helm... 
I mean, everybody's just kind of looking all over. And I mean, you have the added things about, you know, Midge is leaving. The kids are going to be, you know, sort of in flux. I, I think that Rose and Abe are just sort of like completely flummoxed about what the next step logically is. I think if you quit your job of something that you had our entire relationship, it seems, and now we were going to lose where we were living and we don't have <laughs> Rose's trust, right? I think we would be like staring at each other because this is blank slate. What'd you do with the trust, Rose? <laughs> I mean, this is blank slate. Like, what do you do next? All right. I don't blame them so much. I mean, I think at any age, if you get everything taken away for a variety of choices you've made, you know, they didn't think that through. That's the, That could have been the name of this episode. They didn't think it through. <laughs> well, it's Midge's childhood home. Midge's late 20s. Yeah. So she, they might have been there for 30 years. Oh, yeah. Abe is 60-something. Yeah. So, yeah, they haven't needed to make a decision like this in a while. And if it defaulted to him in the first place... And being a renter and dealing with stuff like in the city and everything, I mean, I would think, and this wasn't uh, the game plan. So it's not like, okay, so now we've saved for 10 years. We have this nest egg. And so now we're ready to make a purchase or do another, you know, pick another rental. They didn't do any of that. So now they're just staring at each other. And of course, every place isn't going to be as beautiful as this place. So all the nitpicking of like the dead dogs and all the construction and all those things. I mean, I think it's realistic and I think it's, I mean, gosh, you and I moved in town and we did the exact same thing. We moved in with my parents because the reality was we didn't have a house when our house sold. So we were out before we were ready to make a decision on where we were going next. So we were in that spot and you just kind of do what you have to do. You pack up, you say, what can we live without? You know, we gave things away, we stored things, and then you hold your breath and sleep on couches. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll accept it because that's a good explanation. I'm putting myself in to Abe's shoes a little bit there and thinking through that I might wind up in the same place because for us, it's been two years, <laughs> but for but for them, it's only been a matter of weeks. Now they don't have anything. Are you excited about how that whole like moving forward works? Like if you have the, you know, these four moving in together, is this like terrific fodder for the rest remainder of the season? Well, sure. I mean, Abe does not like them. And every time that we've seen him with them, he loses a little bit more of whatever barrier he has up between what he wants to say and what he ends up saying. Right. It's going to be hard to keep a filter 24-7. On your benefactor. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's going to make some good TV, but I think this would be like spurring them on in yet another direction. It's not going to be Paris again, but I think it will push them. It was like an event earlier in my own life where... Um, You might remember, I was thrown out of college and I... That is such a dramatic way to say it. Well, I wasn't thrown out. You weren't like suspended or like, like you didn't like, you know, burn a house down and they threw you out. The the word was suspension. No, I mean like you weren't like expelled, I guess. Like it wasn't bad. But going on that little sojourn away from college put me right in touch with the direction I definitely knew I didn't want to go. Mm. You know what I mean? Yes. And so I think the same thing's going to happen with them. They may not know exactly what they do want, but they're going to find out really fast what they don't want. You know what though? <laughs> I think that that is actually a way better way to think about life is, you know, a lot of people ask, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, you know, now I have my fantastic, I don't, dream of labor. So there's (laughs) nothing that I like hoped and dreamed I would be when I grow up. But, um, but I feel like it's, it's all a process of elimination more than it is choosing things. I feel like it's like, okay, I don't want to live on a cruise ship. I don't want to live on a farm. I don't want to, you know, like you almost do it more like that. And then you figure it out like, okay. And people may say, no, 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 no. I knew exactly what career and I knew exactly where I wanted to go. Okay. But let's see if you stick with that or you end up having this lifetime, like, uh, turns out I like this part of the job, but not this part. And like through the process of elimination, you start to kind of like move your career in a different direction. Oh, for sure. I mean, without naming any names or making anything too obvious, we could probably rattle off 20 people that we knew from high school that seemed set toward 
being a network executive or a litigator or a senator, but really they needed to open up a bead shop after doing a little bit of that work. They were like, I'm going to go not <laughs> well, do that. Process of elimination was, it turns out I don't like that, you know, yeah. and then they, and then they go off and try something different. So I'm excited about this one. I mean, and I feel like we're not doing it justice in terms of like the amount of hilarity and all the conversation. I mean, Amy Sherman Palladino is known for this crazy wild dialogue, fast banter, all of that was going on during this. So I, you know, there's no way we're not recapping all of that. So I know you guys as listeners have already watched it. So just know we appreciate it all. It's all fantastic. We're laughing and like, you know, smirking at all the little side comments. If you have listened to us consistently, then I think you'll know Abe's my favorite of the whole, <laughs> whole bunch. And, and I think they give him the best lines that they don't give Midge. They give to him. That's, mm. that's my theory. I agree with you on that. Tied in with that. We have that discussion of the babysitting and the tour of the children going around from caretaker to caretaker, but the Wisemans aren't on the list. Mm. So what do you think about this? Was it really tied into them not having a, a solid place of where they're staying or is it more like they're kind of less stable nature in general lately? Mm, I mean, if you, mm, my, my knee jerk reaction is no, it's just cause they don't have, you know, a place to stay. So she's being very particular. Like she was telling them all of their toys and clothes need to move with them, you know, for every location. Like she was being very comprehensive about how she wanted this. Pretty good mom shit with that suitcase for Joel. That was full of everything. Yeah. I mean, that was. And the boxes. And top flight mom stuff. There. She had everything ready to go. So in that case, I mean, I have to put a lot on that. But I think it would be fair to say that, you know, she's been side-eyeing the beatniks and the choices <laughs> that everybody's making. And, you know, it's it's a lot. So her parents are not as stable as she would like. I don't think that she has any – she doesn't have, like, in the Gilmore Girls, like, Lorelai-esque, like, anger towards her parents no. or disdain for no. her parents or anything. But I think that you're you're totally right that, honestly, how could they – take care of the kids right now when they really don't know what's going on. So, and she just said, I don't have you on the schedule right now. It's not like she was like saying forever and ever. It was just like, without knowing where you're going to be and what kind of space you have and what would work for you, you don't even know what jobs or whatever you're going to do. Like, how would we schedule that? You know? Mm -hmm. So I think it was totally fair. In the middle of us uh, watching the second episode and the third episode, we watched the entirety of Succession. And so we've seen the actress that plays Astrid oh, yeah. in a completely different role. So much different relationship with her do I have. That was my Yoda version of that, by the way. <laughs> I feel like, I mean, I ignored Astrid as a character for the majority of this entire series. But because I've seen her in Succession, because we've, you know, kind of grown to have her face be oh so familiar. Yeah. Then I'm like, I actually am like leaning in for like what she's saying now. It'll be fascinating to see how that character continues to grow through these seasons. If you haven't seen it, Succession, she plays someone that is probably taking advantage of, of another character for life that should be taken care of. So, but in this, she's altered her entire life to caretake for Noah and the baby that they're going to have. Very different characters, quite a wide range for one actress to pull off all at the same time. Right. And she's super religious in Maisel and certainly in Succession, she is like the opposite. I would say. So, yeah, I think I would say it's, she's a bad person, but just I didn't say, an opportunist. Being the opposite of religion is not being a bad person. I'm just saying she's not religious. Fair enough. There were scenes with the Wisemans where you could soak in the emotion of them leaving the home. Did you get the same thing with Midge and her time to leave? I mean, I think with her own apartment, if you remember, she did that tour. Remember, she like walked room to room when she left her own apartment. Mm -hmm. But no, I think with her parents' apartment, uh, I think she's ready to move on. And what an exciting next step for her career that she's about to embark on. I mean, this is the craziest, biggest thing you know, that's happened to her. Speaking of the career, we can pick out little nits of the, of the show after I ask this question. Okay, okay, sure. The big broad question is there seems to be signs of both progress in terms of getting her name on the marquee and finally getting on tour with Shy and making, making the first step into the rest of the tours, obviously doing the first one, right? Mm -hmm. But then we also have 
it's the panty picture on the poster and she bombs the first dinner show and she's not sure how to feel about Reggie. Do you suppose that altogether there's more progress than not, or is she still just sort of like tippy-toeing along toward her goal? I think that she is having way more progress than not. I think that she is having growing pains. There's got to be a progression in the way that she does her act. As she leaves this very regional humor behind, she's got to figure out a way to address a larger crowd. And that would happen. That's just a growing pains thing. You know, the second you get out of your your own little area, you have to start finding funny that universally works, you know? So that's that's the kind of stuff that was happening. Now, the panty picture and all that stuff, hmm, I have to rest that on the Susie storyline. So really... We can talk more about Susie's ups and downs and that, you know, how much is she growing? How many how many things is she learning versus are we kind of stagnant over there? Uh, I think that's probably more on Susie's neck than Midge's. Oh, we'll get to Susie. (laughs) Uh, Aside from the regional humor, what would you tell Midge? Were you Susie and you saw her bomb like that other than just getting back on the horse, which was a good approach? It was. What would you tell her, you know, when they go to Reno next week or whatever? To be honest with you, I have a pretty thick skin when it comes to certain aspects of success. So if I was up having my dinner theater debut here, I think there's a part of me that would be absolutely okay that people were sort of distracted because for me, it would mean I could fly under the radar a little bit. Maybe a joke hits, maybe it doesn't, maybe they laugh, maybe they don't. But like, I would just want to fulfill my obligation of being up there And like you were saying, like kind of tippy-toeing into this new venue, I wouldn't have taken it as such a hard failure as she did because I just don't feel like that getting all the laughs from her show was 100% the point. And even really, I'm going to say I'm backed by that, by what the casino owner told her. You know, you're going to have to adjust. You know, this is your first time. These people are from all over. Like, he wasn't upset. You know, he Mm -hmm. was like, you did you did fine. That that's almost how I think my heart would act. I played softball for tons of years and I was happy if I was joking around. I was a great player, but I didn't care if I sat on the bench. Like I I didn't have a huge ego like that, you know, about needing to be handled in a certain way, you know? And so in that way, I think that Midge kind of walks this line right now because she does absolutely have an ego. I mean, that comes into play very largely when it comes to Sophie Lennon and Susie. So her ego is on the table. But I think she did just fine. I mean, just to get out there, just to be in that way larger, like she said, the big, the big room, you know, those are the big steps. And it's not like you got booed. It's not like anyone was like, get out of here or anything like that. I know the one guy said sing. (laughs) So that's a little borderline. But I mean, other than that, you got through the first night and, and that would be a success for me. How about you? I mean, would you require all the same laughs once you got to this larger venue or could you kind of handle the it's it's going to be different aspect for me performance is less like sports performance and it's like a 80 20 conversation between the performer and the audience right where okay. maybe this is i have a little bit of experience with this from when i was in high school but more before more of this when i was a teacher later where if you aren't getting any kind of engagement from your audience, in this case, it was my students, then you feel like you're you're not getting through. And it does start to build up in your mind, like, what's not happening here? What am I not doing to get the engagement that I need to know that, for me, it was, are they learning? But for Midge, it's going to be laughing. Why aren't they laughing? That's fair to, like, want to stop and have that assessment of, like, what am I doing wrong? I I don't know. It's a little bit different because like in teaching and I'm a teacher as well, you have this long-term relationship and you have an actual like goal of having these people have a certain response. These people bought a ticket and they were eating dinner and they were happy. They were talking, they were visiting, they were doing stuff. Right. So I don't think that they would have walked away from the Maisel portion of the show and been like, that whole experience was terrible. I don't think that it would have been, that's what I'm trying to say is like, 
they she wouldn't was, remember her really. That's what I'm trying to say. Like it was a part of the chaos of that part of the evening, but that might be something she has to absorb as like, if you're going to be doing shows on this level and they're going to be serving a meal and you're sort of part of the section of the night when people are still coming in and taking their seats, that's just going to be part of what your night is going to look like, you know, and, and maybe don't take it quite so hard. I don't see her absorbing that. <laughs> I don't I, either. I think she's going to push it. I think she's going to do sets more like the episode when her dad found her out. Me too, where she gets more graphic and more crazy. Yes. I think so too, because that's going to be the only way to get those people's attention, right? Is to yep. be saying something yeah. so outrageous, they can't help but put their shrimp cocktail down, right? Want, I bet she's going to try to provoke a response. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Well, I'm really glad, though, that both the casino owner and Susie, you know, had no issue with how it really went. You know, it was it was a learning opportunity. Now, you know, he write some jokes. He was the manager with his girlfriend, remember? Right. Cece. So it, it's, it's about, you know, the whole try to adjust, try to take in the information and like, let's move on to the next show. But I really like how Susie handled it by taking her over to the smaller stage, like reminding her. That she is good. That she is good and that like who her people are, you know, her people are not the ones in the big room necessarily. They're the people who are just at the little cocktail tables when she only has like a smattering of like 20 people. When Shy and Reggie come up and do an impromptu show, that's her gig, you know, that's her whole jam. But, you know, in the big room, this is a concert ticket with an opening act with a full dinner. That's true. It's completely different. And so I think she's going to have to adjust so much, but I don't think it makes her bad or anything like that. It's just like, that's what that kind of show is. You're still great. Look at your so-called regional humor. Look how great it did with a smaller crowd and impromptu singing. It totally was amazing. That set, though, was all her... It was directed at the yeah, people sitting it was, there. It was reactive to what she'd done. But it was also done. like intimate and personal, right? Which is a lot of what she did, you know? Well, that that's part of it is that Shy fills the room with people that wanted to see a national act, mm-hmm. right? But she's not. And even if you think about it today, there are precious few comedians that could do like arena level seating. Whereas there's a lot of bands and singers and stuff like that. So the, the ratio isn't quite there. And it kind of begs the question, like, is stand-up comedy designed for arena type, you know, seating? Not really. Not probably like you just said, probably 80% of great stand-up is an intimate setting in a club, you know, where there is more interaction with the crowd, where everybody's feeling like we're all in on the joke. And only those very few ultra-successful Seinfelds type, you know, are able to get onto that big stage and still reach people. I agree. But you mentioned Susie. So these two are on a little adventure together, but let's talk about the Sophie Lennon part before we get to the adventure. Okay. Is Susie plain old over her head in this? I mean, she's been a little, she's been kind of gasping at air this whole time being just Midge's manager, but I think she's getting pulled under. Oh yeah. I think she's drowning. I mean, that opening scene with the lawyers all sitting at the table and her realizing that she has been completely bamboozled with this contract. This is not what she signed on for. I mean, her having to sit in the bathroom on the toilet, trying to read the contract, utterly painful. And again, like she never thought to talk to Sophie about whether or not there was a contract and doesn't know show business to the level that they're being like territorial, you know, other people who are working with you, you know, within the business. I mean, how could she not realize that other managers were going to have a problem with what she was doing that Harry of anyone who she went to for advice for some, you know, that he would know what was going on and this would be a problem. So, yeah, I think this is all unfortunately a lack of expertise in this business and just being a little full of herself. Like she was so excited to get Sophie. She never thought to think if she should take Sophie. I think you've already already said it, but the naivete of not even having a lawyer look over any of this. Yes, it's enticing to have a big act like Sophie Lennon say, I want you, mm-hmm. but she can't 
have you yet? Well, and not only that, but uh, someone who is more experienced would say, why would you want me? I'm way too green. This makes no sense. What am I missing? And that's the thing is like, yeah, she picked you because you're essentially a rube in this business. And so she could pull one over on you. Any other person with any amount of experience would absolutely say, I'm not working for you. You're under contract for someone else for the next five years. Sorry, you signed the contract. When you're out of it, call me. But it's one I'm, I'm thinking I have Jeff Goldblum in my head. Like, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Like, <laughs> you shouldn't have taken her, Susie. You know, just because she you had that get doesn't mean you should have taken it. Well, and we don't need to go on for long about this because this isn't the marvelous Sophie Lennon. No. But what does this even leave for her? Because she has no inducement to want to book Sophie for these large acts that she can book them, but Harry gets paid for them. Mm -hmm. So what is Sophie going to do for the next five years? Not work? Yeah, but if you remember that writer's room, I don't think Sophie's so worried about it being a fair deal for Susie. I think she thinks she can intimidate her and force her to create opportunities for her with the promise that once this contract's over, I'll come with you. Five years is too long. I agree with you wholeheartedly, but Susie doesn't have any other prospects. And Midge did a really great job of saying, like, she can't grow. She has no salary from Midge. It's very little money. If she wants to ever be, you know, Susie Meyer, and, and associates, she's got to get more acts. Now, this was unfortunate. This feels like you got, you stepped in a trap, you know, right? It's like Akbar. It's a trap, right? <laughs> totally, right? Exactly. But she accidentally fell for it. And that's why everyone was like kind of snickering. Like everyone, the writers, Harry and the lawyers, everyone was like, she, you know, she just, she snatched you and you don't realize what you just did. You, your life is going to be a living hell until you can somehow get out of here without Sophie Lennon ruining your life and career. Good luck. Speaking of ruining your life and career, this Strindberg stuff. Yeah. I haven't watched ahead. I don't know what happens with it, but I do know what happens when powerful performers have a passion project that they know that they're perfect for, but the rest of the universe doesn't see it. It never works out. <laughs> yeah. It, it can get made, but that doesn't mean anyone likes it or wants to see it. Very good point. I think that this is going to be a whole albatross around Susie's neck when we get to whatever this is exactly. I mean, we got the book. We understand that there's something there. But the way that Midge was like, why are you reading that? I mean, we've already have every indicator that this is not good. <laughs> well, and Harry's demeanor about it made it sound like he's been fending it off for a long time. Oh, yeah. The way he said, have you met Strangberg? I mean, the whole way that it was like presented was like, oh, this is a monster that you are going to have to hide from. And good luck to that. If I had to make a bet, this is going to become a breaking point for Susie because it's going to take a lot of her resources to deal with this unquenchable need of Sophie's for her time. And there's no compensation. And I think it's going to build where she's, she might break later and or have a break where it's like, I don't know what to do. I'm way over my head. Just like a Susie explosion <laughs> of expletives. <laughs> Probably. I think that's where it's going to go for, for her. I have a lot of compassion for Susie because she has zero capital to work with and she's supposed to manufacture these things like the pictures for Midge or she's supposed to understand opportunities and contracts for Sophie, but she has no experience. So there's this whole crazy thing of like, if you're hungry, you'll do it like almost like an intern. But at the same time, if the intern had to pay for everything all the time, you know, with there being like no money to start from, you know, like you don't have anything to start from. So I feel for her. I, in my heart, I'm like, she's like a little podcaster that could, right? <laughs> she's like, doesn't have an advertiser. She doesn't have the right equipment. She doesn't have anything. She's just trying though. There's that game of like fake it till you make it. And she's still in the faking it till you make it, but it's like bigger stakes and she still has no money or expertise to answer, you know, the call for those. I mean, Susie's a person that wouldn't have even had something to sell in order to pay for the pictures. When she asked Reggie <laughs> to front the money, that made perfect sense. Reggie, I know that he's being a strong, hard-edged, 
character. He's meant to be sort of a, a yin to shy's easygoing yang. Mm-hmm. But in that case, I thought he was just being a dick. I think that he was also, you know, feeling her out. I mean, if this is the first time that you meet someone and they're supposed to be your counterpart. I mean, he is shy's manager. Susie is Midge's manager. We're supposed to be working at the same level. And Susie is so scattered and doesn't have anything going on. Again, like you've been there, Paul, where you like see someone and you're like, oh, my God, like it's like a group project. And you're like, oh, really? You brought nothing to the table here and you're going to ask me to do extra work and pay for you. Like uh, maybe this group project kind of sucks, you know, like I think he just he's probably fended off so many leeches from shy that he has to be so cautious and thoughtful about these people who are coming in. And if you remember, he didn't pick Midge. This was Shy's call. So he didn't feel like these two women were the bomb that needed to come a part of their whole show. But still, they're getting paid out of Shy's big pot that he brings in every night at these shows. Why don't they just take a couple hundred bucks off of that first night so that they can have the picture that they want? To me, I think that it was unprofessional on a different level. He is so concerned about Susie and Midge, but mostly Susie, let's be real, about acting professionally and being at this, you know, uber level that he's at. Why would you put up a picture of a woman in her underwear? Exactly. That's That's, not the show that you're putting on. Exactly. And he, I mean, he is trying to have this high end dinner show and he wants shy obviously to be presented as, and he picks on all of those reporters. He's like admonishes them and says like, this is the highest quality question you can ask. You know, you're acting so low end, if you will. And, and yet here he is creating a situation where, you know, a woman with children who, you know, you're embarrassing, you know, you put up a picture of her in her underwear, the panty picture, if you will. Uncool. You know, I think I think just on the basis of it would have been better if there was no photograph. If it said something like photograph not available, that could have been the finger to Susie. But why you have to embarrass Midge? You know, like yeah. that's not right. Yeah. So I disagreed with that very much. What do you think about this introduction, though, of Sterling K. Brown on the show generally and like how his character is starting to unfold? I'm trying to read into the relationship he has with Shy, how Shy must need him. I think that they go back a long time and because they says as much mm-hmm. that, that he's been working with Shy for a very long time. He has his own talents. And I think if he lets you in, he's probably likable enough. But until he does, he's a, he's a hard guy to, to like. But you want him to like you because he's he's so confident and the boss. Do you think that he's bringing over any of the cachet, Sterling, of playing Randall over on This Is Us and knowing that a lot of people watch This Is Us would probably watch Mrs. Maisel. And so we're already kind of set up to like him. Like, I wonder if we would like him if he was played by another actor, an actor we didn't know at all. We had no history with. Would we be like a lot harsher on him? But because it's Sterling K. Brown, he's a really nice guy. I've seen him in a million interviews. We've been watching him for years as Randall, a big hearted guy. When he comes over, you're like, maybe he has his reasons. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Maybe. Sterling K. Brown in the last couple of years has worked a lot. Besides This Is Us, he's done the Frozen 2 movie. You know, he's the one of the voices. Mm -hmm. He did the Black Panther. He was in it for a minute. Right. (laughs) And he's done a couple other movies. And you see him from just time to time. Does he bring that cachet everywhere he goes? No, I don't think so. I don't know why I'm doing this, but I think I'm putting myself into Susie's shoes a little bit. Because I've worked for people not quite like Reggie, but somewhat like Reggie. And if you're not impressing them with your work ethic right away, you still need to find some way to get them to ease up on you, right? And it can be through outstanding work, but he's already kind of made it clear that I'm going to actually be very hard on that issue here. But you still got to find some way in, right? And just liking you on like a personal level might be it. Maybe that's why I'm thinking of it like, I want him to like me because I'm Susie, right? (laughs) Well, I don't know if you're Susie, but here's the thing. Susie doesn't really particularly care about being very likable. So in that case... No, the strategy would not work for her. The strategy is not going well at all. So I don't know. There's a lot going on here between the two of them that I really do understand because I do look at this as a group project. And when you see 
you know, you have the two talents, Midge and Shy, who we think are strong. We've got Reggie, who's been doing it. It sounded like he said 20 years. And then you have Susie, and you you know as the group project, you're all looking at her like, just give her the most simple part because she's not going to show up on time and she's going to be a pain. And all this stuff is not going to go at least to the level of what the three of us have experienced. The three of us have been on airplanes. The three of us know how to act in a casino or in a hotel. Susie's going to always be this outlier. Shh, the captain's talking. <laughs> that was the funniest part. I love that so much. But uh, and and she physically was reacting like she was having like a sore stomach about all of it. She was lifting her feet up like she was being kind of silly, you know, with her level of naivete. I love Susie. I really love Susie. But I get it. I get it. If you're Reggie, where you're like, I am not doing my work and your work. You're the agent for her. You figure out how you handle funds because otherwise I'm just saying, do you know how many times Reggie has probably been approached by people trying to skim off of shy? I mean, he has this entourage and whatnot. I got to imagine over the years, there were some not so authentic people in the mix. So Reggie's got to have some armor up to say, like, my job is to protect Shy, his image and his money. Like, yeah. I can't I can't just hand this out. And it's not his money to hand out. I don't know. I respect the choice that Reggie's making. And again, I mean, the panty picture, her yelling fuck in the middle of the casino in this time, in this place. Ay, 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 right. you know? Men didn't do that, so yeah. No, this just, yeah. So, Susie's got to get it together. I thought that that asking for the, like, what's your, um, what's your ask? And all those yellow teddy bears, I was like, oh my God, <laughs> you could have had the money for the photos. Why didn't you have that be your ask? <laughs> right. Like, well, oh, that they had to furnish the photos. Oh. <laughs> That's funny. That's why if I managed <laughs> that's an ongoing joke because every time something's going awry, I'm always like, if I owned this water park, this is what I would do. Right. <laughs> I always right. have some idea I'd like if to I do. I owned this alpine slide. Right? <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so if, if Reggie is the yin, let's talk about the yang just for a second. Sure. Shy seems cool. He does. But he already seems worn out and it's just the first stop. He does. He also seems like somebody who has been pushed and pulled around. Like he makes me feel like you feel about young child stars when they, you know, have been in it for a while. I mean, if they've really been working on this for 20 years, then Shy was a young man. Mm -hmm. And he's seen the big room a lot. And he just seemed, you know, worn out. And like you said, like I already sang for my supper. Like, don't ask me to do free shows. You know, right. like that was kind of fair, I thought. You know, we certainly have seen that with plenty of celebrities where they're just like, you know what, like this is my actual job. And you're asking me to just like do my job, like at the at the drop of a hat. I don't want to. So I just wanted to relax. He took his tie off and everything. He's like, I'm done. Reggie sang okay. Oh, I liked his song. He, he was, I liked his singing. He sang it competently, but with with Shy's harmony, it it spiffed it up quite a bit. Oh yeah, I mean that's the thing. You know what? It would not shock me at all. They probably aren't going to go there at all. But if Reggie had some sort of you know seeing dreams of his own, you know, and it, maybe they were both together, and it just at some point it was like Shy's so much better. He just kind of morphed to the side and became the manager. But I think that he's in love with showbiz and performing just as much as Shy, maybe more at this point. That's probably true. That's probably true. Of course, my most favorite part of, you know, having Reggie and Shy go up there is that I felt like it's it created this completely different mood that Midge could find her place in. Like she didn't know where she fit in. You know, her hair wasn't right. I've been in that position. And you know what? This must be a thing with Amy Sherman Palladino, because in Gilmore Girls, there's an episode where Suki's going on her first date with Jackson and she does her hair in this really big beehive kind of thing with all this hairspray and all this stuff and she's like I just don't feel like myself like the like the f she doesn't feel happy about the evening until she takes her hair out of that big thing which is almost identical to Midge's hair so I feel like there's some sort of <laughs> like personal backstory some sort of phobia knowing that Amy almost became a professional dancer and now she's not seen without a top hat on or a hat generally makes me wonder she must have really hated all the different, you know, permutations that a professional dancer would do their hair. 
Mm, that's very true. You know, or at least a lot of them. That's very fair. <laughs> right? And right. And maybe just feel like you can't be yourself. You know, you just feel like you're faking it completely. And and that was obviously something that was bothering in both Suki and Midge. It was like they weren't feeling like their authentic self. They felt like they were dressed in a way that was like a costume. So it was definitely something that made me take notice. But I was happy that she found her place within this group. And she realized that Reggie and Shy and really even Susie kind of saw them all, I think, in this like way more, you know, I love the part of the evening when you take your heels off and the guys undo their ties. This is my most favorite part of the evening of any event. You take a couple bobby pins out. That is why I like to get dressed up. <laughs> it's just for the part where you take off your heels and everybody has that like totally relaxed, get up on stage, start laughing, start dancing, start, you know, saying crude jokes. That is like my jam. So I felt for, for the entire situation that I was like, yes. I understand how Midge, Susie, Reggie, and Shy move forward. They're going to have to have more of these moments. And we had that with the brisket in the kitchen where it's like it revealed like the way that Midge is going to find her place is to be who she really is and bring that to the table to these guys instead of trying to fit into this dinner big room, you know, situation. She's going to have to be herself. Speaking of Gilmore Girls connection, was that Liza Weil I found playing the bassist it totally was carol isn't that so wild i've seen her as as paris for so long <laughs> even seeing her as grown-up paris in the year in the life uh, uh hello we saw her in person in austin at atx she walked right by us in the line that's true and that's, she was a grown human then <laughs> that's true that's true but they have her made up in like the, the i don't know the the, the the concept of a of a professional concert woman bassist in that day and age is like, hmm, that's interesting. That's, I'm sure, completely the point of why Amy Sherman Palladino would put her in this. I'm positive. It's to say, like, you thought it was a boys club. I mean, but let me point out women throughout history that have completely broken the ceiling on that. So, I, you know, for her, I found this fascinating. I read this whole article where there is a woman bassist of this time named Carol who was like, uh, I didn't, no one called me about this and I don't really appreciate this. So this person, Carol Kay, is an actual person. And then this is, we have Liza playing Carol Keene. And uh, yeah, Carol Kay was like, uh, what? <laughs> I am not cool with this whole thing. And apparently she wasn't asked about this and it's not on board. So I found that fascinating. Sort of the Janet Jimplin of the, of the story. <laughs> <laughs> it's all that because I think it probably, like I said, I think it probably came from a good place of them wanting to highlight females in music. You know, we know that Dan Palladino is a big music lover. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm sure that he probably, you know, gave in some two cents about like, hey, did you know there was like some female bassist at the time or whatever, you know, whatever. But I just think it's funny that she's like, <laughs> not interested. <laughs> Fascinating. I would say just fine. It wasn't you then. Yeah, it's a different Carol person with a last name starts with a K. Yeah, I'm sure she'd like pull out pictures and she'd have like the horn-rimmed glasses. I know she probably would. Right. That's what cracked me up. But Carol is going to be fun. I'm glad she's an ad. Liza is a wonderful actress. She has this a little bit variation on the personality of Paris, obviously, because this woman is far more fun-loving. But she still seems to be have a little no-nonsense in there. Like she works in, you know, an all-boys club. She's got to have some level of like... Fuck you, you know, <laughs> which is good. I mean, I'm glad to have that type of person in the story that doesn't look like Susie, but is like sort of a mashup of Susie and Midge, you know, like mm -hmm. she's cute and she's got like the different looks if she wants to, but she can also be like junkyard dog. Just experience just talking. She, she knows her way around. And I don't, yeah, I don't think it pays to be delicate in that situation. I think you have to be able to hold your own and talk the talk. Speaking of talking the talk. Do you know who's not talking much talk because he's having to learn Chinese is Joel. How do you like that segue? <laughs> wow, it's rough, actually. <laughs> Super smooth, huh? Uh, how about this one? Another female that was added to the cast was this character of Mei Lin. I enjoyed her very much. And she also had a completely no-nonsense, I-know-what-I'm-doing personality. Future doctor Mei Lin. Yeah. So she has been introduced as a love interest of Joel's. You think? 
I do. You don't? You, well, I, that's what I was going to ask you. I mean, they oh, seem... Oh, you were going to ask you that? Yeah, well, well... ask away. Joel seems to be looking for her. Yes. Eating at restaurants where he thinks she's going to show up. Right. And yeah, looking for reasons to be in her path. That's the kind of stuff you do when you're interested... I think we have found Joel in an odd place in terms of like, he's kind of mirroring Susie's lack of understanding in terms of not reading the contract and not understanding what's expected of him. Because here he has signed this lease, not understanding who the owner of the building is, figuring out that there's like this illegal gambling situation going on. He's got all this stuff going on. And I think that May just looks like a friggin' life raft, you know, like perhaps she can help him bridge the gap between what's going on and who owns this building and help him just navigate this a little bit. You know, he at least was asking some of the right questions when he was saying, you know, are the police going to come here? I don't want to invest all my money to have the police come in here and raid the joint. Like those are good preemptive questions, questions Susie (laughs) should have thought to ask, but he's already signed the contract. So, I mean, he's no smarter. And it helps that she's cute and funny. I loved her. I loved when she's like, do you like feet? Do you like feet? Like all that. I mean, she's really funny. She's smart. She's clever. She's witty. I mean, I like the entire package that May is bringing to the table. I don't know what Joel brings to the table for May, frankly. He's this divorcee with two little tiny kids who can't seem to think his way out of a paper bag, who lives in an office at a factory. I don't know. Call me crazy, but I think a future doctor who seems so smart and witty, she could do better. She's an upgrade from Penny Pan. (laughs) Fact. Hashtag fact, Paul. (laughs) I hope we see a lot more of May. I predict, as we move into our predictions, I predict that May will serve some role here. I think if there's not going to be a romance, I think love interest, maybe only on Joel's part, um, you know, maybe it's time for Joel to have some woman be like, uh, great that you're interested in me, but I'm actually completely fine without you. I'm independent. Ooh, interesting. Both have heard these families. I don't know the Lynn's, but I'm going to predict that they would be mostly interested in May finding another Chinese person to pair up with. That's my prediction. It's, it's almost writes itself, those kinds of hijinks that would come up if they did try to link up. What then? Like what future, even though they could have fun in the, like the short term, what does the midterm, long term stuff look like? I am saying regardless of what May's parents want and regardless of what the Maisels say, May is too good for him. Mm. She's got way too much stuff going on. She's Whoa. way too worldly. She doesn't. He is dead weight. I know his dad wanted him to leave the Maisels company. Staying in that office. You saw what he was living in. But has he left completely yet at this point or? I mean, I think that, I mean, I think he still works there in, on some, in some way. I think he still draws a salary. How about that? Of some amount. Okay. okay? That's yeah. what I'm saying. I don't All know right. how much he's putting into the day-to-day operations. You haven't read his, his time cards. I haven't seen his timesheets lately, All but right. I would definitely say that he's trying to move into this opening his own club aspect of his Something life. he has no idea how to do. No. And also he has two small children. It's, it's very not conducive to his situation right now, but... You know, we know that stand-up comedy and the club scene was his dream initially. At least that's the way they portrayed it. If you remember all the way back to season one. He thought he was the funny man. He was not only the funny man, but also that he had the chops to like have a club and like run this whole scene. Like he thought he could do it. So thought the gaslight was. Yeah, it was everything. (laughs) So I don't know if he has any more research into this than maybe we've been completely let in on i mean maybe he see so much time has passed that i want to be like joel you knew the club scene five or six years ago when mazel first came out <laughs> but in their years it hasn't been like that but in our years it was like god my kids were little when this show came out they're old now right. um so you know i think for his own dreams i'm excited for him i guess i just don't think he's that impressive of a person like no i've never you know i'm not in the joel fan club <laughs> Well, I mean, he's just not like, I don't think he's got all this personality. He, you know, we feel like he's just sponged off his family. It's always just nepotism. So it's not like he has this awesome business acumen or that he earned any amount of where he's at. We know that the apartment, he didn't buy it. 
So it's it's like he's had this whole borrowed existence from other situations. And we kind of know that. Remember, he was stealing the material for the comedy mm, show. Yeah. That's how I would explain Joel. Joel has lived a borrowed existence from people who are far more successful than him. And I think he's about to latch on to May. Who's about to become a doctor. Uh-huh. See where I'm going with this? <laughs> You're a leech. You can do worse than finding a doctor. For May, I really hope that she figures out what she wants to do with herself. Maybe she just wants to have some fun with Joel. Go ahead. Why not, girl? You're single. Do whatever you want. But at the same time, I mean, <laughs> don't marry this guy. Don't marry this guy. Although I think Midge and May would be an interesting uh, conversation. I think that would be kind of funny. That would be pretty sharp banter, wouldn't it? I think so. So then in, in that way, you almost think she has to come into the fold because that's the best setup is the two of them going back and forth. Much better than Joel and her. That would be something. You can almost, yeah, I, I can also picture that. Like, <laughs> like, oh, I'll get that for you, right? Because that's, I know, I know you like it like this or whatever, like a drink or whatever. And May's like, no, he actually takes it like this now or, you know, something. Not that, not that serving is part of it, it's just knowing his current preferences or, or likes and this. It could not even have to do with Joel. It could have to just be with like two women having a conversation where I think that they could just spar oh, awesomely. Uh, then I'm, I'm talking about the automatic stuff. Yeah, I know, I know. But I hope that doesn't have to go to someplace like so just like stale like oh man that doesn't pass the test two women be in a room and have a conversation that's not about a man oh like mm. not passing the test so it's fine with me to have you know midge and may have interactions that don't have to do with joel at all all right all right i'd be happy with that all right amy You've been challenged. <laughs> i hope it happens man Elevate i mean the game. season four is in the can so <sighs> It's almost like we can feel the vibes off of it. Like how, how 2022 is this story going to start? We'll see. We shall see. Do you have any other predictions that you want to add in for our episode four? I think whatever the next stop on the journey for the comedy tour, since we don't care as much about the musical tour, is probably going to go worse for Midge. Okay. Whatever, whatever worse feels like, it'll look like that. Okay. Whatever that makes she sense. tries doesn't work either what she tries goes too far and doesn't get the approval that she's looking for from shy and reggie or the audience hates it or something but it just just gets worse before it gets better i think that that is very plausible because it, it would it'd be a little too easy if after the very first stop and everyone being very understanding of your flop that then you just become like stellar like that's too easy you know she's got to get into more situations where i think that there's a diverse audience that they're going to be standing in front of in a way that's like just because you figured out what to see in vegas doesn't mean that's the appropriate thing to say you know in salina you know like or you know you're over in la now wherever you are like i think she's going to have to figure out an act that can flex with wherever they are and and try to relate better and we'll see if she's able to do that mitch has been a specific woman this entire time it's somewhat relatable she showed that in france right mm -hmm. but can she bridge the gap between you know new york city life that she's lived and the rest of the country this is caroline and this is paul thanks for listening thank you for listening this has been an original pod clubhouse production pod clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.